Welcome to The Ugly Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Emerson. And we're trying really hard not to try so hard. Come hang out with us as we talk about our passion for creativity, authenticity, and heart-centered entrepreneurship. (laughs) Did I say that right? Yep, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm still just very bad at starting this thing, but we're just going to jump in. That's okay. I almost belched really loud, like, as soon as it started recording, and I was just like, that would have been like the pinnacle of how to start an ugly podcast. So I and really had to would. save it that you had to hear my belch every time because creativity. I love it. And I love you. So this is the ugly podcast. Welcome to anybody listening. You may not recognize this other voice that I have with me. And that is because Emerson is um, kind of in flux with their move. So They don't have reliable internet connection at the moment, so we thought it would be fun if I talked to another cool creative person in my life, and that is my sister-in-law, Mary. Hello! Mary, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I am an English teacher, literary magazine advisor, and newspaper advisor. That was my first big girl job, and I'm still doing it. 14 plus years later, 13. I don't know. I don't teach math, so that's numbers. But I've been doing it for a while. Um, And so Lauren and I have a lot of conversations about creativity. And we practice our creativity with writing or just try to inspire each other. And that's something that is really relaxing to me. And I honor that time spent with you just talking about creativity. So thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I think you knew that I was creative before I knew I was creative. (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving you a look. Uh. (laughs) Major um, eyebrow raise at me just then. And maybe it was just that they were parallel to each other. But like when you first added me to that group text of people who who you thought were creative, who should do the um, NYC midnight challenge. Uh Uh-huh. For the first time you sent that to me, I was just like, I'm never doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, that's how, like, I I did the same thing, too, because Suzanne, my sister, got me started and said, um, we should do this. This would be fun to do as a sister thing. And I was like, I don't have time. That'd be, like, fun if I was creative. But continue. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, that was exactly my response was, Uh like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly create a story. And then this was also around the time where I was getting into, like, the make it ugly, just, like, do it anyway phase of my, like, rejecting perfectionism stage. Um, And so then, like, I finally agreed to, like, I think it was the second or third time you asked me to do. I'm kind of annoying and persistent (laughs) that way. But that's what I needed. I needed that push of like, no, you should just do it. It's fun and silly and like, just see what you can come up with. And I did. And then I ended up getting first in my group for that first one. I know you're ridiculous. Like your first story you wrote, I was just like, I need to up my game. No, I was so blown away. I was like, I have a reading masters. I teach literary magazine. Like I kind of know what I'm doing. No, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not even a little bit and I feel like that with my students sometimes too 
I was just hanging out with one of my kids in class and reading one of his stories he submitted. This kid is a way better writer than I am. I've only had him for a semester. I did not teach him anything. I just gave him the space to be creative. And he could go write for a Tarantino movie. Wow. Like, he's so good. But anyway, I digress. But good for you. I'm glad that you jumped on the creative writing train because Suzanne got me on it and other people inspired me and just were persistent. I think what I really appreciate about you is you value accountability mm-hmm. and saying, no, you need to love yourself and give yourself time to do your passions, things that you enjoy. Because if you don't, it's going to bottle up inside and you're just not going to be a happy person. Exactly. Well, because I mean, that's where I was for so long. I was an unhappy, bottled up person for a very long time. Same. <laughs> so, And so now that I like, I know what works for me personally. And I'm like, whenever I see people not being creative now, or like not living into that like potential, I'm like, but there's like something that you could do to help you get there. And like, whether it's accountability with other people, whether it's like, alarms or calendars or like scheduling for Mm -hmm. yourself that will like get you to the page or whatever it is that you're working on like there's something you can do to like get yourself to be creative okay so I was thinking about one of the questions you sent me about uh how are you creative and I made some notes because it's just along the same lines because there's this misconception about creativity that's like well, it'll strike and it'll hit and it'll be amazing and I'll make the next great American novel. That's great if that works for you. But at the same time, okay, I had a couple metaphors and my metaphors were, bloop, 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 bloop. sorry, I'm pulling up my note. Okay, so at first, when I was thinking about how I would answer this, creativity seems kind of like the sea or when people say, oh, you'll find love when you're not looking for it. Like it'll just... Like it's full of emotions. It's fickle. Sometimes you're only good when you're angry, like slam poetry, right? Mm-hmm. When I teach teenagers, they think, well, I can only write when I'm sad or mad. That's not true. You can get inspired. But then as you get older, the more you're in tune with your own creativity and you give yourself that space and that accountability to practice, that whenever that inspiration hits you, you're ready to go and you have the tools, you have the organization, you have the practice to get you where you need to go. And so the more you work on yourself, your creativity or your relationship with creativity is so much better because you love yourself first. Mm -hmm. And so even with my other metaphor I was thinking of too is with kids. When you have kids, a lot of times people think, oh, that's going to fulfill me because I have this thing that I created that I can pour myself into. Yes and no, because you have to let your child be themselves and have the autonomy to figure out themselves. When I write a story, my best stories, if I get too personal with it, I can't be objective. I can't let it be the story it needs to be. And so I don't know how people write memoirs. Because I I wouldn't know how to be objective about it. I feel like I would just get so blinded by where I want to go and what I want to put into it, what I want to say, that could I really tell the story that needs to be told? Mm -hmm. That's actually really interesting because I've been going to this group called The Narrative Project. They help writers finish their memoirs. And they're Uh a really great group. They're up in Bellingham. And they have these, like, they've had a bunch of different events through the years that I've gone to. And they have this thing called Mastermind Your Book, um, Uh where somebody kind of 
shares where they're at in their book and kind of say what they're stuck, like where they're stuck or where things aren't connecting. And then there's this group of people there to kind of ask you questions and help you figure out where you need to go. And so much of the time people are, they're trying to kind of distance themselves from the book or like they're they're doing what you just said. They're like trying to direct exactly where they want it to go. And then people in the group are like, you're missing this bigger picture of where your story is trying to lead you. And you're not ready to go there yet because writing memoir can be so powerful in that way where you're actually discovering things about yourself that you didn't really realize you were there while you were trying to write your own story. Right. But it it is like, don't get in your own way with your storytelling. Yeah. Like don't get in your way with your own storytelling. Don't like, don't like come at it with this lens of like, this is exactly what I need people to know. And like also cutting them, like people cut themselves out of their own memoirs quite a bit. I've been on at least like 10 of these mastermind your book calls and they're always like about, sometimes they're like about a family member, um, like their mother or, you know, like people in their family. And then they'll usually cut themselves out of the book to a certain extent. And then every single time, um, Cammie, who runs the program, she's like, but where do you come into this? What is your story? And people are always like, well, I just don't, I don't think my story is interesting enough. And they're like, but your relationship with this other person that you're trying to write about is right. the most interesting part. Like, you know, right? because you're the protagonist. How can you have a storyline without the hero? Right. Or hopefully you're the hero. Maybe you're the villain. Maybe you're the anti-hero. I don't know. You have a tragic downfall as a girl on tragic hero, different hero types, but yeah, cutting That's so interesting that people would do that is cut themselves out of their own memoirs. Mm-hmm. Or, like, sometimes people are trying to write, like, about a specific thing that they did. Like, they want to talk about their their backpacking trip through Europe or whatever. And it's like, sure. yes, that's a cool experience, but how did it change you? Like, what emotional right. journey did you go on? And so, like, a lot of times people don't want to go there. It's like, but that's where your reader wants you to go. That's what's interesting about storytelling is the way people change. We want those transformation stories. Right. But Lauren, it's painful. It's opening up wounds. Good. Scars and scabs and gross things. Good. That's what Good. it's supposed it's, it's to ugly. do. Storytelling can be ugly and beautifully chaotic. You know those times in life where you just face plant and it makes you pause? That's like writing. Sometimes it's just hard and you you just trip and you go, whoa, what was that? what is life? And you go through that disillusionment phase, like good writing. You don't have to like it, but does it make you question? And mm-hmm. that was something we just finished with To Kill a Mockingbird. And then we uh, went into the short story, The Bet. Have you ever read that? Mm-mm. Okay. So really good. And there's this banker and this lawyer, and they're talking about what is better capital punishment or life in prison. So they ultimately make this bet that this lawyer is going to stay in this banker's guest house for 15 years. He can't have any human contact, but he can read anything he wants. This is before Netflix, so he can't watch anything. So he can read, blah, 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 blah. This lawyer goes through, and at first he reads all these life-hearted romances and um, really just surface-level stuff. And then he starts thinking about the human condition and what is life. And so he starts reading a bunch of religious texts. And then he has a disillusionment period and goes, what is life? What is my role? What is my purpose? And then he goes through government texts of how can I help the world? How can I make a change? And eventually this lawyer 
um, the bet was for $2 million. And the lawyer says, I'm just going to break this and leave because who cares about materialism? Who cares about this money? What is the essence of life? Is it relationship? Is it, it's something more than materialism. So he leaves and the banker was going to kill him. He was like, Oh, I made some bad gambling decisions. I'm going to be destitute and finds out the lawyer leaves anyway. So we finish it. And my kids come to class and one of my kids, God bless him. He's, he's sweet. And he comes in and he said, Van, I hated that. I hated that. This character was so depressing. He didn't care about life anymore. He was just like, I'm going to throw in the towel and throw away this $2 million. Who throw, would throw away $2 million? And he just could not connect with this character's disillusionment. And I said, do you have to like it for it to change you? Because sometimes I've seen movies or read books and I'm like, I would never, never go through that journey again. But it changes me. And I think about those morally gray areas or questions of philosophy that they present and how does that change me as a character so we had a really good like even if you hate the curriculum what how does that change you as a character mm-hmm. because are you going to be thinking about these big ideas that it poses you may not like the syntax you may not like you know the writing style or the voice depending on you know what era it was or what your style is, what you connect with. Some kids are like, I hate to kill a mockingbird because I only enjoy fantasy. Okay, but what what can you get from it? How does that change you? And so when you were talking about that, like what changes you as a writer? Mm-hmm. Those uncomfortable parts of disillusionment where you go, what is life? What is it really about? That's uncomfortable because you question everything. You challenge everything. And can you write about it? Can you go through that desert of humility and loneliness and tell people about it? Mm-hmm. That's hard. Oof. That's yep. hard to do. Yep. And I, I think that's why, because I started writing memoir and then I wanted it to be, I wanted to add like magical realism into it. Mm-hmm. Love me magical realism. But then as I was introducing the magical realism, it was becoming less memoir, obviously, because it was turning into magical realism. And so it became easier to write the more I distanced myself from it. What I wanted to say became more clear once I gave it a full-on fiction plot. (laughs) Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I did write some scenes for a memoir and like I might continue working on it at some point but I think the real story that I wanted to tell is coming out in this magical realism fiction a lot better than it could have shown it with my own story so do you think because you're letting it be its own like you're letting it twist itself into what it needs to say and you'll discover more about yourself when you lose control over it versus more of a structure I think that's definitely part of it especially because when I'm plotting out parts of my life there's also lots of parts I don't remember and so like Mm. things that have shaped me over the years like I don't really remember the details of it but when I'm writing fiction I can be like this is how this person changed and this is what prompted that change and I can like make up those details myself or challenge your perceptions of that person that's what's interesting about life too do you idolize a certain character or do you villainize a certain character and then you find out they're way more human than you thought Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you did I think we've talked about this. Have you ever read the short story Paper and Menagerie by Ken Lau? That sounds familiar. I think we've talked about it before, but I can't remember if I read it. 
I would, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about memoir and, and talking about magical elements that might reveal something uncomfortable about relationship or about how you see people in your narrative, that's readers. I recommend Ken Lau's Paper Menagerie. If you really want a good experience, go on LeVar Burton's podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. It's in the first season and LeVar Burton is magical. Big fan long-time listener. You will cry. You will hate characters. You will love characters. You will be wrecked at the end of the short story. But if you're thinking about magical realism and memoir, ooh, yep, this is the one. Nice. I'll definitely check that out. 10 out of 10. Five stars. So where where have you gone recently in your creative journey with your fiction? So I am about... 16,000 words in. Nice. And I have an outline and it has changed at least five times and I'm trying to kind of let it go where it wants to. So right now, I don't know. I'm kind of just hopping around. I'm not writing this in like a linear fashion whatsoever. I just keep like writing whatever scene strikes my fancy that day. So the premise is it is a woman who's in her late 20s and she hasn't really dealt with her past and her trauma starts to literally come back to haunt her. And so the way that that's kind of triggered is like her niece starts to go through this like church confirmation and she really wants her aunt to be there. And her aunt's like, I am not a part of that community anymore. And I feel very uncomfortable going into a church and I don't know why. And so, because she hasn't like really analyzed her history um, she starts to have basically panic attacks, but in it, it's like a monster who's actually haunting her. Um, Interesting. But essentially, it's just she's having panic attacks, <laughs> which can feel like you're being haunted. Let's be honest. Sure. Interesting connection. When I used to go into churches, I used to have super full on panic attacks and I had no idea why. Like I thought I was having heart attack. So, yeah, when you said that, I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So question, creative processing. Do you do a reverse outline or did you start at the beginning? Or I know you said you like hopped around, but what is your outlining process? How does that look for you? It has changed a lot because I've never done this before. So it has been very interesting. Um, I started just like writing, which is called pantsing, if you didn't know. So there's pantsing and there's plotting. Um, People who are pantsers fly by the seat of their pants and they just kind of write and let the story unfold. And then plotters are people that actually create an outline for their story and then write accordingly. So I started off as a pantser and then quickly lost steam and didn't know what direction to go in. So then I became a plotter. <laughs> and my first my first outline was really simple of just like initial instigating event, couple build-up scenes, the climax and resolution. And then obviously that's not very much, so... The, this writing group that I was a part of um, called Quill and Cup, they recommended this book called Save the Cat Writes a Novel. and I Which I bought, re- by the way, because of your recommendation. Yeah, I just recommended it to you. And so I read that, and that was really helpful. And so I used her beat sheet, I think is what it's called, um, to actually structure out how this story would go. And that has made it a lot more coherent. Cool. Sorry, I feel like I'm leading your podcast and not giving you space to do what you need to do. So I'm going to shut up. <laughs> I don't mind. It's all about like creativity and 
exploring different ideas. And that's the idea that I'm exploring right now. So I'm happy to talk about it. Um, Sorry, I just nerd out whenever I'm around you because I'm like, how does Lauren's brain work? What has she been doing? You're just too interesting. So again, I'll be quiet. Uh, that's very sweet and embarrassing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's my job. I got to embarrass my sister. I know. Um, okay. So I know that, I, I mean, maybe you just told me this at the beginning when we were talking about those NYC midnight stories, but like mm-hmm. when I first met you, you were already very creative. You are an Thank amazing you. artist. Thank you. For anybody listening, Mary painted this amazing painting of me from my wedding or from sorry from mary's wedding mary and my brother and there's this picture of me where i'm like kind of looking down and she turned it into this beautiful art nouveau painting and it's gorgeous thank you it was a painting that needed to happen just the way like your stance and it was so just it was beautiful do you still have that painting i do it's it's in my boiler room (laughs) right now you're right next to my heater but what is it about creativity that we make something and then we want to like pack it in the recesses of somewhere? We just don't want to like highlight it unless it's somebody else's. Is that humility or fear? I don't know. But anyway, yeah, it's by mm-hmm. my leader. That's a good question. Like, I think that's a very pertinent question. Is that fear or is that humility? Yeah. I, w- I Do would you argue write fear. in your closet? What? Speaking of your closet, do you write in your closet? <laughs> no, I write at my desk. Lauren just, is speaking from a closet. I just hold myself in a closet. I have to do it in secret. And type just like this. Like a little mouse. Okay. So my question was, I mean, you've, so you've been a really amazing artist, but like, I don't know, how has that evolved your, your history with creativity? Were you always really into drawing and painting and stuff or how did that evolve? Yes. When I was little. I guess I used to draw a horse from the hooves up, which is really weird. Like, why would you, why would you start there? But I guess I was very creative in my processes, even as like a very young child. I don't know. I always got like crayons and writing stuff ever since I was little. And I always felt like I had this energy inside of me that I just had to release. And when I sat in front of a paper, like I could, I don't know. I just, I needed to release that energy, but finding where that creativity needs to go and finding that freedom of what your artistic voice or artistic style is, is very interesting because is it where you want to take it or what people expect of you? Like, even though I was creative and, you know, as parents, sometimes they're like, Oh, look at my kid can drop. But what happens when that kid writes satirical cartoons that are uncomfortable or, you know, not that I was that smart to do that, but are, are people willing to let your creativity be comfortable? And as like, does that make sense? As I, I felt like I was so confined within a certain style for the longest time when I went to college and was an art major, like I was very much into like graphic novels and I had a very set style. And when I was challenged to try different things and let things be more organic, I like freaked out and was like, but I can't, it has to be perfect. And I have to have my, you know, um, I was so caught up in perfection and I never realized this till we talked about this, like right now, that's why I never took art as a profession because I could never fully let it go mm-hmm. and let it be itself. So I chose, I had this English teacher that I really liked in college. She was really cool. And I used to write poetry and she'd like take the time just to read it. Um, And just that 
extra time just totally changed everything. I said I would never become a teacher and then suddenly I was in English education. And so I could teach art and I could teach writing, but writing though creative and personal wasn't as close to me as art was like art was too close. Like I couldn't let people touch that. That was like for me, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But English I could be objective about, but very interesting way, way too. And that's like a theme of my life, trying to be perfect according to other people's standards and my standards. And what, what do I expect of myself that I would never expect from other people? And so when you talked about ugly art and just creativity and letting it be what it is, it's really hard for me to sit at a paper and not try to draw. Like my first thing I draw is like a head, right? Because I know the proportions where the eyes and the nose and things like that go. But unless I do an idealized thing, am I creative to do something more? Mm-hmm. Or You know what I mean? I, I, I draw the same stuff. And so with writing being that more objective, like I feel like people can challenge that more of me, but what is it about art that just, it's so hard for me to let go of? I don't know. Anyway, long tangent, but. No, that's uh, really interesting. And I wonder if like, especially because like you said, like you were just really good at it from a young age. I wonder if it was like that constant messaging of like, oh, you're so good at art. Oh, you're so good at art. It's like, oh, okay, well then I always have to be good at art. Or this one specific art instance. Yeah. And and how much of affirmation is you're doing what I expect of you and what I like. Going back to that whole theme of do you let your story be what it is or do you like let your kids be creative and be who they are? So your nephew, my son is five and he's exploring being creative and he drew this amazing chicken. I know I texted you. I was prouder than heck about it. It's a great um, chicken. That's a great chicken. Very like realistic. Like this five-year-old just totally nailed it. But I have to constantly, when I'm looking at his creativity or how he expresses himself, think about how I give him affirmation and what does that say? Or like little girls, like constantly you're like, oh, you're so pretty. But do we say you're a good leader? That was really good that you were confident to do. You know what I mean? I had an uncomfortable uh, talk with a student today where I was wrong. And that's uncomfortable to be wrong. And afterwards, I thought about it. And I went through that uncomfortable space. And I sat down with her and I said, that must have been a really hard conversation because I'm an adult. And to stand up and say no in in a very respectful, polite way and be confident and assertive. Mm -hmm. Assertive isn't bad. But girls think that's bossy. And it's not. I said, good for you. I was wrong. And well played. Keep doing that. I love that you, sorry. No, I, I love that you're sharing that. And I love that you were willing to actually go say I was wrong and like, thank you for that hurt though. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's why so many adults don't do it. That's why like Mm -hmm. we have so many people who are just like, I have the answer and you can't refute me. And it's because saying you're wrong is really uncomfortable. It feels bad. Or even in our writing, it's more comfortable to make other characters, like say in a memoir, it's so much easier to say, oh, you were wrong. You were wrong and this is how it affected me. But do we have the strength to go into our memoir and say, I was wrong? That's uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, how do you, do you see yourself partaking more in art 
in less perfect ways going forward? Or do you think you've like switched gears more like towards writing and that's kind of like the path you're wanting to go down? It's hard because they're a really close relationship. Like, okay, you're a design nerd with me, like in design. When you're creating a product, say like for your business, and you're like, oh, I could write the snippet, but then I could do a, a graphic for this and then see how that like in the publication world and the business world like applies itself. I really like systems and I, I like to see a cohesive, what's that called? Branding. I really like branding. So I see more of my art journey coincide with my writing since I'm a publication teacher. Like mm -hmm. um, I just made a customized student planner because I looked at all the other ones and I was like, mm, this is not what I would use. So I liked finding the system of what worked and getting feedback and then applying that and that. So I see more of art as a practical application through like marketing and branding. Mm -hmm. And that to me is really cathartic, but I don't, I haven't painted for a while. You know, I haven't really sat down. Like we talked about, you know, like ideas for a children's book. I would love to be a children's author illustrator, but again, am I brave enough to do that? Because children's, literature is about passing down parts of you that's really important right so what values and what things do I want to say what space do I give myself to be honest with what legacy I want to leave so yeah with art I'm really excited to explore art in an ugly way with you like um, I'm really excited to do like art prompts or um, what I'd like to do so when our dad had surgery we started doing that text group um, where basically we did a little piece of ugly writing basically through texting where um, we would take turns writing a story for our dad because he was not feeling good and we thought maybe that would uh, pick his spirits up. And so that was a lot of fun and I looked forward to seeing everybody's piece of the story and then life just got too busy. Um, and I'd, I'd love to pick that up again because I want to see what happens to that story. That was so fun. I talked about that on this podcast. I can't remember which episode it was, but I talked about it as one of my like ugly things I made that week because it was so much fun and it it was bad. It was, but it was so <laughs> it was so bad. It was so, but it was delightfully bad. It was so much fun and Big Bird ended up in it. And I don't know how you got oh my there, gosh. but it, but you did. You went there and it was so funny. I think you started it. There was there was a bird element. And then yeah. it Sesame Street had to make an appearance. I don't know. But because it did, there's a big cliffhanger. And what is going to happen to yeah, our father's character? Because <laughs> Nick, my brother, was supposed to take it. But he's been really busy looking for jobs and stuff. So maybe now that he's on summer break, he can pick it up. Okay, I'll put that Nudge. on my honey to-do list and be like, sorry, you cannot do X, Y, and Z until we figure out what happened to Big Bird. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure dad's sitting in Spokane just gnawing on his fingernails going, Nick, what oh. happened? What happened to Big Bird? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think this has been like, this. the way our conversation has gone has kind of fit perfectly into this last question. So we talked briefly about like, wanting to do a children's book and I mentioned to you because you told me you wanted to write a children's book and I was like I have an idea for a children's book and it was that I was laying in 
um, after a yoga class, I was laying in Shavasana, you know, you lay down that final corpse pose. And I just like had this vision of like <laughs> the corpse pose. That's what it's called. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I'm had sorry. this I had this vision in my head of just like gravity not working anymore and like everybody just like slowly floating up to the ceiling and it made me laugh. So, like, I was giggling about it all the way home. And I thought it would be funny if, like, gravity was just like, I'm done with you people. You are not grateful. You do not respect me. And I am taking Z-snap, a day I'm off. I'm out. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and I thought it could be, like, a fun story about gratitude and, like, I don't know, something like that. But as we were talking about, like, how to, like, how you can affirm your kids, like, what kinds of messages would you want integrated into a children's book? What are some of the things, especially about, like, creativity, about being yourself, about, I don't know, about mental health that could, like, how do you, as yeah. a mom, like, what are things that you... Mental health, yes. And especially in education, there is a huge push for resiliency training for students and mental health. Like, I'm so happy that people are saying, what is going on with our, our kids? Mine, you can hear him in the background. He's playing games. I feel like we shouldn't interrupt our conversation. I, I want to be like, shh. But at the same time, like, it's hard to have an organic conversation. But but things that I want to instill in my kids, like when we when I first started thinking about children's books, a lot of it was I was inspired by my own childhood and wanting to reconnect with that nostalgia and trying to connect with a time that I felt comfortable and safe. You know, um, so my love of children's books started there. Uh, mental health. I want my kids to really think about what is happiness and that, you know, us talking about, am I happy with myself or am I happy with a, how others see me or, or what is, what does it mean to be happy in this life? What does it mean to be successful? And I want, and Liam's right behind me, I want him to feel loved and comfortable, but to love himself. I want to him to be resilient and strong. And so I, a lot of the books that we purchase deal with that. Like, how do I deal with my emotions? Not that I can't feel them because it's very powerful to feel them and there is a space for them. But how do I not let situations or my emotions um, not control me? So like um, the book, The Hammerhead Shark, we were talking about this the other night. I loved the children's books you pick out for the boys. I'm just like, yes, Lauren. Um, <laughs> there's this hammerhead shark and he wants to share a swing, but his friend, whatever creature it was, doesn't want to share and they end up in a fight. But it goes through like some calm down techniques. And in the end, you still want to be friends. And it's about that relationship. And Liam loves it. And there's, you know, of course, a little plushie that goes along with it. That's so soft. But those mental health pieces for kids, and to talk about things and, and not have a stigma around mental health, not have a stigma like, oh, I'm a boy. I can't talk about my feelings because that's BS. I don't want my kids to feel like that. I want them to be able to connect with how they're feeling and to build that emotional intelligence. Yeah, that's so important. And you can see the effects of what not talking about mental health gets you. Like you can see mm -hmm. the kind of people in our worlds who like don't know what emotional intelligence is and can't find rational ways to comfort themselves you know <laughs> like, 
whether it's narcissism or whether it's, we were talking about earlier before the podcast, like that shooting at that elementary school, how are we addressing mental health and how do you deal with life when things like that happens? Mm-hmm. I wish I could give my kids the perfect world, but it's not, it's far from perfect. Yeah. And it's scary. And that's, I think that's the beautiful thing about books is like, books are a safe way to introduce kids to that concept. Mm-hmm. Like, cause they're, they're going to very quickly as they grow up, find out that this world is far from perfect. They're going mm-hmm. to quickly find out that the climate is <laughs> irreparable. They're going to quickly find out that there are shootings happening in their schools. They're going to, you know, they're going to find out these things are very scary and hard to deal with, but books feel like a safe place where you can explore the types of emotions that that brings up in a safe way and helps you think about different ways you can handle that and different ways you can comfort yourself, different ways you can contribute to the world. Yeah. I don't know if the last time you were up at our house when Liam had a tantrum and were you there when I told the dinosaur stories? I don't think so. Okay. So when Liam was really little, now I can have deeper conversations with him because he's older. Um, but when he would get really upset and we'd work through it and we'd do a, like our mindfulness calm down strategies. And once he was at a point where he could just like pause and think, what I'd say is, let me tell you a story. And so I would take the exact situation we just dealt with. But I, um, there's three characters. There was a Giganotosaurus, a Tyrannosaurus, and a Triceratops. And whatever it would symbolize whatever was happening. And those were the characters. We were able to talk about that in a safe place in a creative space. Was there anything when you were little that you remember like stories that really affected you or values that stuck with you that maybe you'd write about? I, I don't know. When I was little, we were very much into like the Bible stories. And I think the, the values that stuck with me the most are like treat other people well um Mm -hmm. and you know like i'm not a christian anymore but i can still respect the teachings of like you know jesus that was like hey don't be a dick and don't like (laughs) hoard all your wealth what verse is that in the bible is that um yeah that's um mark i've heard uh, it before i mean they use it all the time uh mark 6 verse 12 i don't know (laughs) don't be a dick Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I think the values that I learned from stories growing up the most were like, be kind to people, take care of people. And those really stuck with me as an adult. It wasn't until I like got into like more middle grade reads that like books started to like really stick with me. Like The Giver. I've read The the Giver like 12 times. I love that book so, so much. But just like that idea of people putting themselves in a bubble and closing themselves off to feeling things, because that's exactly what I did as a kid. I closed myself off to feeling things because my feelings were bad. (laughs) And so I decided to stop feeling things. I didn't decide, but you know, my brain was like in recovery mode, like, okay, protect Lauren. Protect Lauren means shutting off emotions. Great. Turn off the switch. Mm -hmm. Um, So that book was one of the first times... I had read of this situation where people were living in a gray world and then he started being introduced to color and music and feelings and love. And it just like, he's like, no, everybody needs this. Yeah. I just loved it. Mm -hmm. 
for sure. Well, and bringing it back to when you're talking about ugly art and you're like, it doesn't need to be perfect. It's expression. It's creativity. It's, it's joy bringing It's It's, you know, this wonderful thing and wanting to tell people about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Way to loop it back. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying not to be the worst guest ever on your show. You're, no, you're doing amazing. You're the first guest ever. So you can't, I mean, technically, oh, you're, I'm setting you're a bar. First, you're the first. So you are both the worst and the best by nature. <laughs> well, we started off with me almost belching as soon as we recorded. Then we went into dick jokes. <laughs> My kids were talking in the background. So all I would say 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> okay. So I think we're about wrapped up. So okay. um, at the end of the episode, Emerson and I like to talk about something ugly we made this week. Oh, okay. Do you have anything ugly or, and it doesn't have to absolutely be ugly, but like it could be something where you just like let go of the outcome and just like gave into silliness or whatever. Okay. I totally shared this with you. So um, I just got hired to teach summer school and it was kind of a very last minute thing. And I spent all weekend just prepping and wanting to be the perfectionist and making sure like really having to step back and saying, what do I need to do? Where can I let my creative juices flow? Because as soon as like I'm into a project, I'm into a project, you know, where like you can be really hyperactive, but mm -hmm. then you're just super focused. Like, so then I made my, my, um, let my kids, they made movie trailers. Um, for their short stories or original characters. And I was so inspired by them. And they taught me about Wii Video. So I made like a movie trailer to my summer school class, which I showed you, um, which is kind of embarrassing, but also kind of cool. So it was not the greatest thing, but I made it pretty epic. And I'm pretty excited to show them how much of a nerd I am. So I stayed up to like two o'clock in the morning working on this thing. And Nick's like, are you going to go to bed? And I'm like, but I'm having so much fun. So it was more about the process, not the end product, but just losing myself in that creativity in that release. Like I really needed that. There was so much going on with school ending and various things that that was my ugly piece of art, my ugly video. What did you do? I, I just did some little ugly marker drawings this weekend. I, um, I like to at least try to make ugly art. Um, once during the weekend, because otherwise I just go into a Netflix binge K-hole. And nope. so, yeah, I just made like some scribbly purple, yellow firework looking things. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. Felt good. It was just like a, a like color vomit onto the page. It was great. <laughs> Sometimes like just writing like that and just having some words just like, bleh, you know, and just seeing what pops out or, or arts is just always fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, know, I, love I was like, when you share when you text me and you're like, I made this thing. And it's really, Oh funny. yeah. That was um, the thing I made this, another thing I made this weekend. I don't think it was ugly. I think it's hilarious. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I was laying in bed and I kept like turning over and over and over again. I could not go back to sleep. It was like 6am and I'm like, I just want to go back to sleep. So I just kept turning around and my brain was just like, you're, you're like a hot dog on a spit right now. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Then, Sorry. <laughs> that just like made me laugh. And so I sat up in bed and I just started writing a little poem about being a hot dog on a stick. <laughs> and it, <laughs> And then the title, I titled it Pig in a Blanket because I loved it. I was in a blanket. And it <laughs> I loved it. 
Yeah. No, it, it made me when I read it, I snorted a little bit. I was, I was into it. It would made me, made me giggle. Yeah, was... Your Nick was sleeping. <laughs> and I read it and almost woke him up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was fun. But what bravery to have like a whimsical little poem and just throwing that out into the ether for other people's enjoyment. I think that's so important in, in inspiring other people um, is just to let it be. Because if you didn't share that, I would have been sad. That was that was pretty good. Yeah, and that's so that's been the thing I've been trying to do more and more is like actually sharing my writing because I don't mm-hmm. usually do that. Um, so I finally like posted that short story on my blog and like shared it, and I'm like starting to show people some of my poems and stuff. So I'm good for slowly you. trying to start getting my work out there more. And Lauren, you are a strong, independent woman who is very creative. Thanks. Good so are you. you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think that's about all I got. Um, do you have like any kind of teacher wish lists or GoFundMe or anything? I know teachers are severely underfunded and it's stupid. So if you have anything, any way people can oh, support thank you. you. I appreciate that. I would just say in general, support your local school district's journalism. Hmm teaching kids how to be credible and ethical and strong within what's going on right now and how journalism has been attacked a lot. It's really hard to be a student journalist nowadays. And if you can just, whether they publish something online or in a paper or whatever, just toot their horn and be like, good for these kids good job because that makes a world of difference like I think about you know when you were talking about my creative process and then I went from art and then I went to English it was because one teacher sat down and read my poems and gave me space to be me and just did a little bit of reflective listening and here I am like a teacher when I said I would never be like so what about these student journalists or these these teenage creative writers just listen like during lunches I leave my room open and some kids that don't even have my class, they come in and they eat lunch with me. And one of my girls, um, she just moved up from another state and she was going through some things and she wrote a slam poem and, and was like, can I read this to you? And I was like, yes. And it was so good and it was so raw. And the fact that she was so vulnerable to share that with me, that's all they're asking is saying, dear adult, can you please not gaslight me? Can you not give me any advice? Can you not say anything but just listen to my feelings on paper? That's all they want. Yeah. So just support your local teenager and just give them it. the autonomy to be creative. I love it. That's the best you can do, I think. And there's a lot of cool kids. I've got a lot of hope for the future. Like, my kids are awesome. Yeah. They're going to make a difference. That's so good to hear. But thank you for asking me. Monetarily, no, I'm fine. I just, if people could just openly support creativity in in high schools or elementary whatever yeah awesome i love that well people can find me as usual on instagram (laughs) at scribe and sunshine and my website is scribe and sunshine.com and um yeah i'm around and i'm um doing ugly art stuff and yeah so that's the end of our podcast thank Thank you for for having me. me This is fun. Thank you for being Um, here. Not only did you invite me as a guest, you also have sounds of your nephew. So you've got.
two guests. Two guests, yep. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. I wanted to jump in really quick and tell you about Emerson's handle, even though they could not be here today. You can find them on Instagram at Let's Make Moments. Um, they're doing some really cool education stuff about taking care of your loved ones with dementia, and so you should definitely check them out. Keep it ugly, everybody. Bye.